Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Are you excited to be a servant of God? To carry out God's will, not only in your life, but to be an influence upon others to see them as well surrendering to the will of God for them. See, when we are committed to the things that God commands us to do, we're going to experience greater intimacy with God. God's provision is going to be mightier in our life. We're going to be walking under the authority and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In other words, everything's going to change, to change according to God's personal and private will for your life. And what I mean by that is this, that God has a purpose for you, and it's for no one else. And God is going to use you as an individual to bring about what God has saved you to do. Now, this may be something that many people don't think about, but God has saved you with a purpose, and that purpose involves His will. And one person who was very committed to this, who rejoiced in God's will, who wanted desperately, enthusiastically to be used by God, was the Apostle Paul. And we saw that last week as we concluded our study, because Paul wanted to go to Rome. And this is not something that, that he dreamed up on his own, but it was God's will for him to do that. God put that in his heart. Why? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Romans and chapter 1. The book of Romans and chapter 1. Now, last week as we concluded, Paul said that he wanted to go to Rome. And now he's continuing that same statement in our first verse, which is verse 11. The book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 11, where he says, For I desired, and this is a word of great desire, and enthusiastical desire. He was passionate about this, and we'll see why in a moment. But he says, For I desired to see you in order that some spiritual gift I could impart to you. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying that he wanted to have influence in this city, among this congregation, among those believers and others in Rome, in order that they could come to faith, new people believing the gospel, and those who did, that they could grow and mature in the faith and experience the work of the Holy Spirit in their life in a more powerful way. 
that they would see God's provision of spiritual gifts being manifested to them. And the more we mature, the more that we understand our faith, the more that we are committed to the things of God, we're going to see that the Spirit will provide more and more. We will be gifted to a greater extent so that we can accomplish God's will for our lives and influence others to do that same thing. And this brings glory to God, and this brought great pleasure, joy unto the Apostle Paul. And the question that you and I need to answer is this. Is this something that causes us to rejoice, being used by God in the life of other people to see them grow and surrender? And here's something that's so important. And for them to recognize God's authority over them in the decisions that they make, the words that they speak, and of course, the things that they do. So are you doing that? Are you demonstrating daily, consistently, God's authority in your life? Look again at verse 11. For I desire to see you in order that some spiritual gift that I might impart among you. Why? Notice how this verse ends. For, and then he has the phrase, for the strengthening of you. Now, it's interesting because this phrase for, for being strengthened is, is very specific. Not just in any way, but as we see, it is an outcome of God's Spirit moving in one's life. And Paul wants to come there. And he has a call from God to do that, and that's why he's writing this epistle. In order that they might become a stronger and a more mature congregation, that they might have greater influence among their city and the people that, that they come in contact with. Look on to verse 12. And this is, and he's going to say, what the outcome of this is going to do. Paul's influencing, Paul growing them, maturing them, strengthening them through spiritual manifestations of giftedness from the Spirit. He says, for this is, and then he uses a word, for being mutually encouraged among you. And he says, among one another, your faith and also mine. Now, what he's talking about is something that he's going to mention later on as we begin to wrap up in a few minutes. And that's this, that faith is not stagnant. It ought not be. Faith should be a growing, a changing faith, getting stronger, getting more mature, becoming more knowledgeable, and becoming more useful to God. Paul simply understands the significance of being a vessel of God for impacting others to grow, mature, recognize God's authority, and do an ever-increasing amount of service to God. This is where the joy is, and this is also where we find God's provision growing in our life, His power growing in our life. Everything that, that God wants us to have, we find it growing in our life when we submit by being used by Him.
So even though when we're used by God, we're being a blessing to others, that blessing is going to also come back unto us, growing us, maturing us, strengthening us, just like we're growing, maturing, and strengthening other people. So that's why he speaks here about being mutually uh, encouraged by, by your faith and also by mine. And then he goes on, look now to, to verse 13. I do not want you to be ignorant. That means unknowing, brethren. So he's talking to the believers in, in this congregation. He says, I do not want that you be unaware, that you be unknowing, brethren, that many times, and he uses a word, the root is a desire, a want, it's in the verbal form, and the prefix pro, which means before. So what he says here is that simply in English we would translate it, that he had many times a previous desire to come to you. But what was the problem, he says? But I was hindered until this present time. Now, one of the things that, that I believe is a spiritual law is this. When we are committed to God's will, we will find hindrance from the enemy. Don't think that, that I'm in God's will because everything's easy. I'm not experiencing opposition. There's no problems. I'm not in the midst of conflict. No, no, and no. It is exactly the opposite. It is when you are serving God faithfully, walking in his provision, understanding his perspective by revelation, the guidance, the illumination of the biblical text through the Holy Spirit. When we are experiencing those things and faithful to them, you're going to have opposition. And that's why I said it was God's will for him to go there. But we see something. We see that he says, being hindered until this present time. And again, what was Paul's motivation? Why did he want to go there? Well, notice what he says. In order that, now I believe many English translations speak about harvest, but it's not the word harvest. It's the root carpos, which is fruit, fruitfulness. Now, I guess that's related somewhat to a harvest, but literally it's the word for fruit. In order that, that I have some fruit also among you, just as also among the remaining, and this can mean other uh, nations, other Gentiles. So Paul says, I want to have influence over more and more people. And this, the terminology here, by the word nation or Gentile, being in the plural nation or Gentiles, Paul understands that as a Jew, he has a call in his life to be a light unto the nations, a source of illumination to Gentiles. And this is going to be foundational for understanding God's plan. Paul understands it, and he's submitting to it. So let me ask you, are you wise enough, humble enough, committed enough to understand God's plan is the best? Don't be foolish saying, God, please, you, you do what I want. 
That's not spirituality. That's not growth. That is not how one who has been strengthened in the faith speaks. Quite the contrary. As Paul is saying here, that he wants to be an instrument to help others produce fruit. And he wants to do it in Rome just as he has demonstrated in other places. Verse 14, he says, Greeks and also barbarians. Now, what this, this verse is doing is, is showing a contrast. In, in most people's mind, the Greeks were highly cultured. They were, of course, idol worshipers, far removed from the truth of God. But he's saying here, it doesn't matter who the people are. I want them to walk in truth. I want them to embrace the truth. I want them to get saved, to experience, and we'll come to this in a moment, justification, that is, being seen by God's grace as righteous in his sight by the sufficiency of the work of Messiah, that is, that gospel message. So he says, to, to both the Greeks and the barbarians, those who are wise and those who are foolish, he says, I am obligated. We can understand this. He says, I am a debtor. Now, why would he use these terms? Very simply. Paul said how he was the chief of all sinners. Paul says when he and he understood his life, he says, when I look at a list of, of the greatest, the worst sinners, I believe my life, my name, would be on the top of that list. And God graciously, mercifully, lovingly saved me by the blood and the death of his very begotten son. And Paul understands that act of grace. It's free, it's a gift, but nevertheless, one who receives it should understand that we're obligated. And that obligation, we can't repay God. We can't do anything to compensate him for, for that loss, what he provided freely. He doesn't ask for that. But we should be people that want others to see and experience and know that same forgiveness, that same new relationship, a new covenantal relationship, with God through the gospel. So that's why Paul says, and he knows, that he's committed, he's obligated, he's a debtor to, and what he's saying here, all people, regardless, whether they're wise or foolish, whether they're cultured, uncultured, it doesn't matter. The gospel is for all humanity. Now look at verse 15. So that, according to, and he speaks here, according to me, and he uses word preparation or readiness. Now, this also reveals something else that's important to us. Paul was someone who got himself ready to serve God. Again, what about you? Are you prepared? Are you ready? So many times people just, just pick up God's word and think that they're ready to share it. This is not factual. We need to be trained. We need to study. We need to learn the proper principles of, of interpreting the Word of God, the rules. And therefore, Paul says, and he, he says this emphatically, he says, so that, we could translate it according to me, 
the preparation also for you. He's saying, I have been prepared. Now, we can understand that God working in his life to make him prepared and Paul also doing what was his part, his obligation in being ready. And he says here, for you. And what did he want to do? He says, to the ones in Rome, and here it is, to evangelize, to perform the preaching, the revealing of that gospel message. So to evangelize them. And now we get to the last two verses. Now, I wanted to rush through these first few verses to get to two very important verses. Verses 16 and 17. Very familiar scripture where Paul says, look at verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah. Now, why would we be ashamed of this wonderful message of love, of God's grace, his everlasting mercy that endures forever? We shouldn't be ashamed, but we need to follow his boldness. Paul spoke, revealed, taught the gospel boldly and without compromise. And he did not care the response of others. Meaning, if they arrested him, if they beat him, if they, they put him into to, uh, prison for a long period of time, Paul says, I'm not ashamed, and that can be understood. I am not going to, to regress. I'm not going to back down. I am not going to move aside. But he is going to be passionately sharing the gospel. So he says, look again, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah. And then he says, for the power of God, it is. Now, if you want the power of God, it begins with the gospel. There's no other way to understand what he's saying here. The gospel brings us into contact with the power of God. And notice what it says, the power of God for, and if we read very carefully, it says, the power of God for salvation. Now, salvation here, we need to understand it in two ways. Salvation in the common understanding. Being born again, one's not born again, meaning they don't have that new life that new and eternal relationship with God, that fellowship with him, that hope of receiving the promises of God, being in his kingdom, no one has that until they receive the gospel. And that gives them that, that salvation. But that's the normal thinking of for salvation, to be saved, forgiven of sin. But we need to see it for another implication. And that is this, the term salvation, it can have everything to do with victory. Overcoming the enemy, his schemes, his, his deceit, his horrible desires that he has for people to bring adversity. Satan, one of the names of Satan, speaks to, that name Satan speaks to adver adversary that he's the adversary, and what does he want to do? To bring adversity into someone's life. 
So we, through the gospel message, we begin to live victoriously. What is living victoriously? It is living in God's will. And he gives us, remember the context, it is the power of God in order that we can live victoriously. That's part of salvation, living a, a victorious life. And this is available to all, everyone, believing. And it's true for the Jew, to the Jew first, and also the Greek, which means the non-Jew, the Gentile. Now, notice what it says here, to the Jew first. The gospel, biblically, historically, according to the scripture, that gospel came first to, to Israel, to the Jewish people. It went from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then, we all know the scripture, to the outermost parts of the earth. But it came to the Jew first. It was God's plan. We see that God orchestrated this. And let me share with you a very important implication, and that is this. That every congregation should understand that they, based upon this verse, should have a priority to reach Jewish people and to, to minister unto, into the nation of Israel in some way. And it's a variety of ways that God can leave people to do that. Lead them to, to help ministries that feed or clothe, provide things, ministries that teach. There's numerous very good ministries that you can find in order to bless Israel. And I can promise you this, that when you follow God's plan, the gospel to the Jew first, also to the Greek, not excluding what's going to happen when you follow God's plan of putting a priority to Israel and the Jewish people what's going to happen he is going to make your ministry to the rest of the world to other individuals to the Gentiles to other nations he will make it more fruitful you will find when you say I want to submit to God's order that he is going to bring order and also blessings to the work that you do, the ministry of, of your life and perhaps the congregation that you are part of. And then let's look at our last verse, verse 17. Now, in speaking about the gospel, let me ask you a question before we just, just see the answer in verse 17. But, but being saved by the gospel, what is going to begin to be manifested in my life? Well, we see biblically that there's a relationship between the gospel and righteousness. And we see it here in this text. He says, I'm not ashamed of, of the gospel. It's the power of salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. And then he writes here, he says, for the righteousness of God. See, when we are saved, and the only way to be saved is through that gospel message, and when we are, it is going to bring righteousness to us. We will be declared by God's grace to be righteous, righteous in his sight. Another way that we can think of that is being justified, justified from all of our guiltiness, our sinfulness. All of that is forgiven through the work of Messiah upon that tree, that cross, 
that gospel message that reveals what Messiah did so that we can be justified. And here's an important part to put with it, justified eternally. So he says, look again at verse 17. For the righteousness of God in it. Now, in it, most ones would see in it, meaning in that gospel. But we have to understand that according to the Greek language, now, man put in the breathing marks, the accent marks. None of that was in the original text. And when we just look at the, the letters and not paying attention to what man added, it could be equally understood as in him. And the reason why I want to say that is this, because really the gospel is not a message, but the gospel focuses in on a person. That's what we need to realize. So this, this righteousness of God is found, I would say, in him. And notice what it says. It is revealed in him, but in him comes first. Why? To emphasize it. So the whole verse. For the righteousness of God in him being revealed. And then it says, out of faith or from faith, to faith. Now, I translated it literally. We have two prepositions, ek and the word ace, which means out of faith or from faith into faith. Now, I, I do not like the New International Version, the NIV, because it's not a literal translation. It is a poor interpretation of Scripture. And it says this, that is by faith from first to last. You don't find any of from first to last, and you don't find the word that is. All that was added by man, not in the original text. And it's an interpretation that's wrong. What does this mean when it says? Out of faith or by faith, into faith? This is what the scripture is telling us. It goes along with everything that we've been talking about up to now, which is this. From faith, when you operate out of faith, it is going to bring you into faith. What does that mean? You're going to grow. You're going to mature. As Paul says earlier, that his motivation was to strengthen this congregation. And that's what he's saying here. And notice that it's being strengthened. I have faith. I come out of faith, meaning that faith works itself out in order to bring me into a stronger, a greater faith. And the outcome of that is going to in impact how I live. How do I know that? Just keep reading. Just as it has been written, and now he quotes from Habakkuk and chapter 2 and verse 4 where it says, and the righteous, some will say just, it's the same word in Greek. One word, for describing those who have been justified and therefore those who are righteous in God's sight. So the just or the righteous, however you want to translate it, it's just the same word in Greek. For the just, out of faith, doesn't mean you leave your faith, it means it's the result of faith. Out of faith, it says, he will live, meaning this, you are going to live according to faith. It is going to bring you out of where you were and bring you into 
a more powerful, a more pleasing expression of that one faith in one God through Messiah Yeshua. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.